Hello, and welcome to the Allen & Overy podcast. My name is Rose Hall, and I head up business development for our technology group. Today, I'm joined by Nigel Parker, one of our intellectual property partners based in London. This is the second of our podcast thinking about intellectual property issues in relation to digitalization. And in this conversation, I want to focus on brand. It seems pretty clear to me that branding is going to be an important part of a digital strategy. In fact, in this context, I read a, an interesting article recently about why Goldman Sachs, when it launched its digital-only consumer banking offering, introduced Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Marcus, which incidentally is named after Goldman Sachs founder Marcus Goldman, is a brand designed to embody the friction-free customer focus of this new offering. So, Nigel, what are your thoughts on this? How important do you think branding is to a digital strategy? Thanks, Rose. Yeah, certainly a, a key plank of any digital strategy is branding. And uh, as you observe, some businesses implementing digitalization initiatives sometimes do so under a, a different brand or sub-brand. Certainly some form of realignment of the brand of a business is likely to be required to maximize the chances of success and take full advantages of the opportunities offered by a digital transformation. A business needs to look ahead to where it wants to go with its digital transformation journey and decide whether its brand is positioned correctly to, to get it there. A, a, a new brand uh, would be something entirely new, although it, it may or may not refer to an association with the parent brand in order to also leverage the benefits of that. The example you gave of Marcus by Goldman Sachs is a good example. It's Marcus by Goldman Sachs. It gives the benefit of of the new brand, but also referring back to the, the reputation of the established brand. To pick another couple in financial services, there's plenty. Clydesdale Bank and Yorkshire Bank uh, recently launched their digital banking platform called B, uh, but it's B powered by Clydesdale Bank and Yorkshire Bank. So very much seeking to, to, to take the same approach. Looking way back further, Midland Bank, some of those listening may remember now part of HSBC way back in 1989 moved into virtual banking under the first direct brand that, that we're all familiar with today. Uh, there are no branches, no bank managers model. That's uh, That was a new brand that was, was not tied back obviously to the parent brand, although the bank was conducting business under the Midland Bank banking license. So that, that, that link was there, but there was a very clear established and separate brand. A sub-brand is another uh, alternative, sometimes known as an extension or subsidiary brand. That would tie uh, even more clearly back to the, the parent brand. And a really good example of that is Virgin. Virgin has used sub-brands extensively over the years from Virgin Money to Virgin Active. I guess an interesting question, the key question is why, why would businesses choose to use a new brand or a sub-brand as part of their digital journey? And, and just to elaborate on that a bit, one key objective is often to distinguish the digital offering from the traditional business, uh, to avoid consumers or customers being confused between the digital and the traditional offering. And in the case of Marcus by Goldman, the new brand helps distinguish the B2B business, the Goldman Sachs business, from the B2C business, Marcus. 
for another example, a, a bit of a different example, take Google and Alphabet. Google, as the business expanded over the years from traditional search, online search, to a whole variety of other things, um, it found not only organizationally, but from a branding perspective, there was just too much going on under one brand. Uh, and so there was a need to distinguish the very diverse businesses going on under that brand, both so that it didn't dilute the Google brand and its association with search, but also to enable those other brands operating under the alphabet um, umbrella um, to, to thrive themselves. And another objective is often to, to take advantage of the opportunity to create a brand that's better aligned and suited to what the digital business is trying to achieve. That might be uh, trying to access new market segments, uh, or it might be aiming to enhance the proposition, the existing proposition of a business to existing customers to, to make them think of the business in a new way uh, as a source of other products and services to the ones that they're perhaps used to buying. It might allow a more targeted message to the customer about the digital offering and, and better enable the business to highlight elements of the, the digital offering to the customer. Again, returning to the case of Marcus by Goldman Sachs, it seems that Google wanted to create a brand with a different, friendlier image, which is more personal and, uh, and not seen as a, a commodity, uh, a, you know, more harder-nosed, if you like, business offering. And, you know, they combine that, as I said, by using the Goldman Sachs branding at the same time to leverage the trust and reputation that the Goldman name carries. When Midland launched First Direct, they had similar objectives. They were looking to access a, a younger and more adventurous professional audience, um, not to cannibalize the existing older, more conventional customers of, of the Midland Bank. Adopting a new brand or a sub-brand may also just simply be a necessity. Digitalization can mean going into new markets. It can mean hiring new people, really a repositioning of the business. And an existing brand just may not be fit for purpose in order to do that. The use of a, an existing brand would perhaps overshadow um, the existing business and, and not allow it to differentiate itself. It might mean that the digital business is not able to appeal to the new markets, new people that it, it might need to access to achieve its objectives. It, it is important, though, to be careful if you are adopting a new brand or a sub-brand to make sure that the market segment's big enough. Customers can be confused if they're bombarded by too many different brands by the same business, uh, and it may ultimately not represent a good return on investment. Uh, and finally, uh, a reason for adopting a new brand or sub-brand might simply be to protect the legacy brand from any risks involved in a new digital venture. Rightly or wrongly, companies may be reluctant to risk sacrificing their long-term brand equity for a, a bet on a new digital proposition. The failure of a digital product or a service could easily lead to brand damage or, or at least harm the, the brand of the parent company. And so there may be a desire not to take that risk, not to put the, the parent company brand at risk in that way. Thanks, Nigel. So practically speaking, to introduce a new brand, what do you need to do? Well, I think it involves a lot of work. 
it's not it's not something to be done lightly introducing a new brand for a business involves a whole host of different stakeholders from the uh, marketing team to the the front office or business teams to others legal uh, ip and so on so it, it does require a lot of consultation and engagement often it involve bringing in external uh, consultants as well from a legal perspective it's really important to ensure that any new brand or sub-brand is free to use full availability clearance will be needed in all the jurisdictions which will be targeted by the business just like launching a new bricks and mortar product and of course domain names that a digital business may want to use must be available uh, many of the best domain names that might be suitable for digital business uh, you will find have already been taken once a new brand's been chosen uh, and the legal risks to use the mark eliminated or reduced to an acceptable level then the new brand will need to be protected and that means undertaking trademark and possibly registered design filings across multiple markets all that carries costs and requires time investment uh, from from different stakeholders it's not to mention, of course, the marketing and promotion costs um, that might need to be incurred launching a new brand. People need to be made aware of it and what it stands for. Uh, so the marketing and promotion budget required to do that could be potentially quite significant. Once that brand's been established, those marks then need to be maintained and protected. Simple administrative things like paying renewal fees, monitoring for and acting against infringers and so on and constantly maintaining awareness and the positioning of the brand in the market. And all of this, of course, has no guarantee of success. Not only the digital business may or may not be successful, but the, the rebranding may or may not be successful uh, and the right approach. I saw a survey from McKinsey recently that said that in a survey of, of businesses, they found that roughly 16% of those businesses had felt that they'd achieved a sustained improvement in performance as a result of their digital transformation. So with all of these costs and uh, an effort that's required to rebrand, that's a, an investment that may or may not pay off ultimately. So it's not something to be done to be done lightly. So is there an alternative then to making that investment? Yes, there is a different approach that's available. Adopting a new brand is often a good idea, often might be a necessity but not always it's interesting actually if you look at incumbents the the traditional businesses that have not yet commenced or which are on their digital transformation journey often their brand is one of their key strengths as an incumbent it's something the newer more digitally enabled entrants might not have uh, and would struggle to build frankly uh, no matter how much investment uh, how much venture capital they might have behind them. You, you only need to look at fintech as an example of that, where there are any number of fintech businesses offering and, and challenging the more established banking businesses in, in a whole host of different ways. But they really struggle because the big banks, they have uh, an almost unassailable reputation uh, with customers. There's that relationship of, of trust uh, that, that, that is hard to, to earn. What that means is for an incumbent, it might be a case of gradually repositioning its already very strong brand to, to take advantage of that brand loyalty, that prestige and that profile of the existing brand 
but to reposition it so that people do start to think of it as as a digital business. This will only work effectively provided the extension of the brand into digital is a suitable fit and not forced. Um, and which is the right approach will, will, I think, depend, among other factors, on whether the digitally transformed business is looking to target the same audience as the tra traditional business. If it is, um, then, then sticking with the existing brand may well be the right approach to take. Just to think of an example, think of the automotive business, um, the likes of Volkswagen, Toyota, these established automotive brands. These traditional automotive businesses want customers to shift from thinking of them as companies that sell cars to companies that offer mobility solutions, a whole wider basket of services and offerings. They want to create that shift in perception among their customers. Repositioning their brand can help them to do that. But ultimately, they're going after the, the same audience. And so introducing an entirely new brand perhaps might not be the right way to go because they, they, they lose the, the, the benefit um, of their well-established brand. There's plenty of other examples of businesses uh, going digital under their existing brand. Um, and the repositioning of the brand can be achieved through a variety of different means. It might be straightforward in the form of simply different advertising that explicitly or implicitly conveys different messages that highlight the, the digital proposition. Or it might be through simply the way they deliver their services evolving, possibly offering their products and services in a more digitally enabled way. Most obviously use of apps, innovative user interfaces in order to provide uh, products and services. Take, for example, the Starbucks app. Starbucks wanted to increase loyalty, and it did this by offering new services to its customers who wanted the convenience of being able to pay for their coffee without standing in a queue. By offering digital service offering, customers start to think of the, the brand in a, a different way. Uh, in pharma, uh, just to take another example, we increasingly see pharma companies offering companion apps alongside medicines. Uh, those apps might offer a way of possibly someone managing an illness like asthma or diabetes or, or similar. The, the, the app is a way of the pharma company taking the patient from thinking of the pharma company as a company that supplies them with pills to a company that actually supplies them with an outcome in the form of uh, a, a better health outcome. We also see it a lot in, in retail, uh, lots of examples there where retailers are trying to, bricks and mortar retailers trying to get customers to stop thinking of them as the bricks and mortar retailer and more thinking of them as providing some sort of solution. So, you know, businesses like IKEA that sell furniture, home furnishing, they're providing apps that allow you to do things like to design your living room and uh, and so on, so that people move from thinking of them as, as simply selling a product to actually solving a problem. So for any business that's undergoing digital transformation, I would think that digital marketing is a key plank to that, to get the brand out online. Are there particular risks to be aware of in terms of digital marketing? Yes, certainly. Uh, an incumbent business undergoing a digital transformation is likely 
to wish to the extent it doesn't already to exploit digital marketing to avoid finding itself at a competitive disadvantage. In doing so, the business will need to reconcile that objective against its risk appetite. Some forms of digital marketing can involve activities which are a bit new or which uh, present challenges from a compliance perspective. And ultimately, that can present a reputational risk to a brand if it doesn't do it right. So can you give us a few examples of those? Yeah, so I'm thinking um, in particular about targeted advertising. So many businesses are using a variety of techniques to target advertising at consumers. The increasing move to online advertising has opened up the possibility to use a variety of techniques to identify particular customer segments online and to target advertising at them. These techniques tend to involve in one way or another using customer data either to sell advertising on a company's online properties or in the context of a digital transformation more likely as a means to reach customers who that digitally transforming business uh, wants to reach online um, on websites on apps the use of customer data in this way uh, online customer data is controversial for a number of reasons which largely come back to issues around transparency and choice. The ad tech system as it currently operates facilitates digital marketing techniques by taking personal data about individuals that's collected from a variety of sources, possibly online and offline, but certainly including their online behavior to build up profiles about individuals. So that when those individuals are then surfing the internet on a particular website or using a particular app, that they can be identified and that they can then be targeted with advertising from advertisers that want to reach that, that consumer. That largely goes on in a way which is not transparent to individuals. There may be information about this in a privacy policy and a cookie notice that explains to the individual what's going on. But I think most would agree that there is limited consumer awareness of exactly how these technologies operate and what they involve. I think it's probably fair to say that consumers probably don't realize the extent to which they have been profiled and segmented by third parties, possibly by third parties that they've never heard of. The other key challenge is one of legal basis, uh, to put it differently, legitimacy. To do anything with personal data and under data protection law, you need to have a legal basis you need to either have someone's consent or you need to have a legitimate business purpose. And with things like digital marketing, online advertising, legitimacy can be challenging to establish because ultimately you're, you're having to establish that people are on board with, are either expressly consenting to or otherwise comfortable with the use that's being made of their personal data and I think there are different views as to whether people are really comfortable with the idea that profiles are being generated about them online, that their behavior across websites is being tracked and that their information is being shared with different parties. It's at best in a gray area as to whether people buy into this, whether they're comfortable with it. And I think that's something regulators are really struggling with at the moment as well. So. Ultimately, engaging in targeted advertising and digital marketing, it's something that you know just about every business does. 
it's something that more digitally enabled businesses do more and big brands that are getting into doing that more they 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 do need to do so cautiously because if again if not done right it can lead to complaints and challenges and we've increasingly seen privacy rights groups uh, launch quite high profile challenges against some of these these activities another example of some of the risks involved in new digital marketing techniques is social media digital marketing can involve increased engagement with customers over social media. That may be to listen to what customers are saying about a brand, or even to listen with and then actually engage with those customers, whether it's to respond to concerns or complaints, or possibly to respond by offering them products and services as a result of their interactions with a company on social media. And social media platforms such as Twitter, Facebook, and so on, have provided the opportunity for brands to interact with mass audiences quickly and effectively. But controlling these channels, experience has proven, can be risky. The interactions are two-way street, and ensuring teams involved in social media engagement are properly trained on what is and isn't lawful, uh, and making sure they stay on message with a company's brand uh, in terms of look and feel, tone of voice, and so on, can present challenges. Increasingly, the public is looking to social media as a vehicle to interact with brands when something goes wrong. So that can present particular risks as well. Failure to respond or responding inappropriately could lead to complaints and bad publicity. We see this often with companies that suffer data breaches that hit the public domain. The minute that happens, customers are very quick to start commenting on the instant on social media, possibly on a company's Facebook page or, or similar, letting them know exactly what they think about that instant. And that's then very difficult to control. Brand professionals are having to consider not only which social platforms to deploy their brands on, but also to work with lots of different teams in the business, marketing, communications, and customer service teams to manage their brand's presence uh, on social media. Getting it right, of course, can have huge benefits. Personally, I, I, I love the example of Greg's, uh, which took the advantage of the annual Fenix Christmas window in Newcastle uh, to brand the shop that sat opposite that store with a mirror image of its name. So it was visible in the shop window of the everyone looking at the lovely Christmas display in Fenix. They then did a lot of work on social media to get that out online and it went viral, all lawful, all very clever. But of course, getting it wrong on social media can also be brand damaging. So protecting brands from, from that requires really careful management and it's a really fast moving environment. So it presents particular challenges. Also on social, obviously there's a risk that people make false or spurious postings. Uh, there's nothing to spot to, to prevent um, individuals that might perhaps have a beef against a brand going online and, and perhaps um, saying things that are unfair or untrue. And so there's a, a constant job for the, the brand team to, to monitor and try and manage that. Thanks so much, Nigel. So it seems pretty clear to me that any business pursuing a digital transformation strategy also needs to think seriously about brands and from the outset. 
from what you've said, there are obvious benefits to creating a new brand or sub-brand embodying the key attributes of the new digital offering, but there are risks in the digital environment as well. Um, you've explained how businesses need to be sure that the brand is free to use in all the jurisdictions which will be targeted and that brand protection needs to be carefully thought through. But moreover, you've got us thinking about a host of new risks that come from user-generated content. Um, from the ability to copy that comes in our digital world and from the pace at which a brand misstep can escalate, leading to reputational damage. There is plenty of food for thought here. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.